Well, we're going to be uh, focusing this morning on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where we read, See, he, that is the king of Babylon, is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk's only a wee book. It's uh, in the group called the Minor Prophets, uh, but it's only in that group because the, the books there are, are short books. The subject matter that Habakkuk is dealing with is huge. Uh, he's dealing with uh, some of the, the issues that really uh, trouble people, some of the issues that make it difficult for people to have faith in God. Uh, we are looking especially uh, in Habakkuk at the way we feel when life doesn't make sense. And there are plenty of reasons that we might feel that life doesn't make sense, why we might feel that at times life is very unjust. We're looking at the, the big picture, uh, at the, the, uh, the global scale, but it comes home, doesn't it, at a very personal level at times. Someone is looking forward to a happy retirement, and then on the edge of retirement they're struck down with MS. Or a hit-and-run driver leaves a healthy young person paralyzed. Life is thrown upside down with no explanation. There's also the confusion uh, that many have in our world today about what to believe and how to live. When society rejects the Bible and the rule of God, then we have no absolute standards to apply to life. Uh, When we have the Bible as our guide... Uh, We can have what's been called freedom without chaos. We have uh, guidelines within which we can know the freedom for which we were intended. In our day and age, the Bible's been sidelined. And we assume that every person is his own measure. We assume that all values are relevant. We've no way of telling what's right or wrong for any individual or group except for the notion that you mustn't interfere with anybody's freedoms. And the result, of course, is chaos. We can't tell any longer what is best for any particular group in society, and our young people especially feel that lack of of guidance, that confusion, and so we see many in our day lapsing into despair. Habakkuk had major questions also, and they're grouped into his two complaints. On the one hand, uh, he is concerned about the way that Judah had turned its back on God, and God was not looking on and taking action, so it seemed. There's destruction and violence all around, and the law is paralyzed. He complains that God isn't doing anything. But then when God speaks and tells him that he is going to act, well, Habakkuk doesn't like what he hears. God is going to use the Babylonians as an instrument of judgment. And Habakkuk's response is, they're far worse than the people they're going to judge. What is the sense of this? Where's the justice in using these treacherous and wicked people? And so... The book of Habakkuk is asking this very practical question. How should we respond when life 
does not make sense. How do we respond? And God first tells Habakkuk that he should wait on God. That he shouldn't be quick to dismiss God and his revelation. Habakkuk goes, we're told, to his watchtower and he waits until he hears what God will say. And we saw last time that the the presence of pain and suffering in the world is not actually a a very convincing objection to the existence of God. It's only really a problem for those who believe in God. And so we continue to believe in God and we patiently wait upon God to show the the reasons. It may be that we'll not know these reasons until uh, we're in glory. But God will have his time in making plain these questions. But that does leave us with Uh, a very big question and that is supposing we do continue to believe in God, supposing we are patient and wait to see how his his reasons unfold first of all in Jesus Christ and secondly uh, when uh, he comes at the end of the age how do we actually live in the here and now how do we go about the daily round when the world seems to be falling apart around our ears How shall we then live? To use Francis Schaeffer's words. How shall we then live? Answer Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. In confusing times, we are to live by our faith. Now, This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Uh, It's quoted three times in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 1.15, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38-39. We're going to uh, see how they're used uh, later on. Uh, So this was a verse which gripped Paul as well as the writer to the Hebrews. It was a verse that gripped uh, Martin Luther. It opened his eyes uh, to justification by faith. He pondered what righteous meant here in this verse. Now, God's message to Habakkuk, that righteous shall live by faith, has two aspects. And we're going to look at these two aspects of what it is to live by faith. Uh, There is a beginning by faith, and then there is a continuing on by faith. First of all, we are righteous because we receive righteousness by faith and live. And secondly, that faith which brings us righteousness is the faith that we go on practicing. We live by trusting God and obeying God even in the darkest days. Well, the righteous begin by faith in God. God's answer to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith is addressing the most important, the most basic question, how can I really live? So we're accenting the word live in the verse. How can I really live? How can I find the life that is true life? How can I find life that is more than just temporary and an insignificant matter of filling in the days of a number, a short number of years? How, in other words, can I live as God intended? I can only do that 
if I'm in a relationship with God. Because otherwise I'll be living in opposition to my maker. How can God accept and bring to me eternal life? How can I find acceptance before him? And the answer is by faith. I shall live by faith. Faith. Now that faith is a is a uh, not a boo word, it's a cheer word, isn't it? It's a, a word that everybody is quite happy with. Now, if, you, if we were talking about sin and judgment, they're, they're boo words today. Folk don't like you talking about sin and judgment and related things. But faith, well, that's quite different. Everybody, it seems, has got their faith. But when people speak about faith today, they're often speaking about faith in a very different way to which the Bible speaks about faith. For example, sometimes people talk about it as though it's a commodity. Oh, I envy him for his faith. You know, it's something that he's got. You could put it in a box. He's got faith. I haven't got faith. He's got faith. Or, it was my faith that took me through this. You hear that very often. Faith in faith. Faith in faith is a thing. But faith in the Bible is a nothing. Faith is only something that gets you Jesus. It's something, it's a, it's a pipe through which uh, the, the, the blessing of God flows. In itself, it's nothing. Or people will speak of faith as, as though it were the power of positive thinking. You know, you've got to keep the faith when things are tough. You've got to keep looking in the bright side. You've got to keep thinking Positively. And again, that's got nothing to do with the biblical idea of faith. Or once again, people sometimes speak about uh, self-belief. Self-belief. Uh, <clears throat> they would say, and you hear this again very often, you know, what, what really matters is not the church or creeds. It's a good life. And well, I'm not perfect but I've done my best. I don't think God would reject me. And behind all that, people are thinking that God is going to judge in the way that somebody weighs something on an old-fashioned set of scales. And in one of the pans of the scales, there will be the, the bad stuff you've done. And on the other set of scales, in the other pan, there will be the good stuff. And people think that they've put into the the, the good pan, you know, giving to Christian aid, uh, being a good neighbor, going to church, all these kind of things. And that, of course, at the end of the day, the, the good pan is going to go down because it's heavier than the bad stuff. And God will accept me. Well, again, that's a, a faulty, a dangerous understanding of faith. Because the standard that God has is far, far too high. It's not being good enough. It's actually perfection. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And of course we haven't done that. And therefore the only way that we can have acceptance with God is if God will give us a righteousness that comes from him and comes to us by faith. There was that powerful picture that we had when we were 
uh, studying in Daniel. Remember when King Belshazzar was uh, at the height of his powers and he was very smug and he had thrown this great feast and the celebrations are interrupted by this ghostly hand and the ghostly hand is writing on the wall and the message that comes to Belshazzar is that you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. No one is justified before God by the law. Paul says to the Galatians using Habakkuk 2.4. Because the righteous will live by faith. You're not accepted by God because of keeping the law. You're accepted by God by faith in Jesus. Now, that means... The Bible tells us this consistently that there are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live and these two ways are actually found here. See, he's puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him, he's arrogant and never at rest because he's greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Now, clearly, in its context, we're talking about the king of Babylon. And he's a proud man. And he's puffed up. And there's nothing he thinks he cannot do. But we're also thinking of more than the king of Babylon. Because in the Bible, Babylon, the city, is used as a symbol of the city of the world. And someone like the king of Babylon epitomizes man in his pride. And so here is the embodiment of proud independence The man who has no need of God. He is puffed up. And always, in the end of the day, there are only two ways to live. There's the way of pride and there's the way of faith. And if you go the way of pride, you are confident that you can please God by your own life. And if you go by the way of faith, you have concluded correctly that you cannot and must receive Everything that you need from God himself. You need to trust. Now that's why all the other kinds of, wrong kinds of faith. uh, Faith in faith. uh, Faith in positive thinking. uh, Faith in yourself. These things are never uh, going to suffice. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to know that our confidence has to be in him. Now on Wednesday, when we were finishing up the the training for Two Ways to Live, we we had uh, an interesting practical. We went into the parks and we shared the gospel. And uh, we were with some, some of us were with uh, some fishermen by the loch. And and one of the the guys that I was speaking to was telling me that uh, he didn't go to church anymore. He said, I'm in a, a mixed marriage and I don't go. But, as people often say, I believe in God. I do believe. Believe all that you believe. But he wasn't trusting. So I pointed out the fact that there was a boat. There was a boat in the loch there. And that if he wanted to use the boat and get to the other side of the loch, then he would need to know more than that the boat could take him. He would actually need to get into the boat. And he would need to entrust himself to the boat. And he would need to travel in the boat across the loch. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. If we are to have faith in him, we must be ready to trust our lives to Jesus. In the storm of life, we need to be in the boat 
and the boat is Jesus, Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by his faith. We make a beginning by living by faith. Faith is also the way that we go on. We just don't start with faith, but we go on with faith. God is saying to Habakkuk, essentially, you know, there are going to be tough times ahead. There are going to be agonizing times for the people of God. Times when the things that are nearest and dearest to you are going to be destroyed. The foundations of your life are going to be shaken. You're going to see pain inflicted on your people (coughs) by people who've got no fear of God. And you're going to struggle to make sense of it all. And in the midst of all of this, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by their faith. So faith isn't just entering into the Christian family. Faith is how we continue as Christians in confusing times. It's for continuing when the thing, when times are hard. Well, there's two ways in which faith enables us to live in confusing times. First of all, it gives an eternal eternal perspective. I think we're too fast on. It gives an eternal perspective. Uh, When the writer to the Hebrews uh, picks up on Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith, he's talking about uh, times of stress for people who had come from uh, Jewry into Christianity. And he's saying that uh, they need to live by faith if they're going to come through these difficult times. And their faith will enable them to see things from a heavenly perspective. He writes, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest, in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because... You knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. So in confusing times, uh, whether in trouble or trial or persecution, and nothing makes sense, we fix our eyes on the goal of faith. We remind ourselves of the deep truths of the gospel. We're assured nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. We remember that God has purposes even in confusing times. Uh, Think of some of the the hardships that that Paul had. Uh, Sometimes we think that Paul was a superhero and simply uh, he he just went on without anything standing in his way. He preached the gospel. Hundreds were converted. Everybody accepted him. Fetted him wherever he went. Of course it wasn't like that. He tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 30, uh, 
4 verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're fading away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? What was that, I wonder? We're not actually told what it was, but there are, there are indications in the Bible that Paul had some kind of uh, an eye complaint. Hints in Galatians, for example, that uh, he had some kind of an eye complaint. Maybe it was an embarrassing complaint. Maybe it was a, uh, something that was very painful or a squint that made people mock him for some reason. And he cried out to God to deliver him from this thorn in the flesh. And God's response was, no. For, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul had to learn to depend upon God in this confusing ailment. And Habakkuk's going to discover too, in the, in the midst of all the bad news he's getting, that there are lessons for him. And if we peek to the end of Habakkuk, we're going to see that just at the point where he can look at everything dear being taken from him, he's left with God and God will be enough. Though there's nationwide calamity, though Habakkuk stripped of everything, yet, he says, will I rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. And so faith in confusing times means that we keep our perspective. Keep our perspective. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's troubling us, whatever comes home to us, I'm sick. I'm really sick. And I'm wondering why I'm so badly sick. But by faith, I know that the only sickness that can truly rob me of life is the sickness of sin. And I have been healed by the cross of that. And I've been given eternal life. There is the perspective of faith. I'm in debt up to my ears in debt. The only thing I have at the bank is a huge and growing overdraft. But Jesus by the cross has delivered me from the indebtedness of sin. And every day is laying up for me riches in heaven that nothing can rob me of. See, in confusing times we live by faith. We're given a an eternal perspective. The second way in which we live by faith in these confusing times is that we stay obedient. We stay obedient. We go on living by faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now, there's a really strong connection between faith and obedience. 
Uh, Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he says that uh, his commission to the Gentiles is to, to call them to the obedience of faith. In a confusing times, we keep obedient. In confusing times, you see, there's this great temptation to stop doing the things that we should do. When God seems absent from us, that's one of the temptations that we're going to face. That we stop doing the things that we used to do. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop taking part in the prayer meeting. We stop witnessing. We stop serving people. And the reason that we often give is, I'm not getting anything out of this. There's so much going on in my life, I'm not getting anything out of this. John Newton, uh, the, the great evangelical leader involved in uh, opposition to the, the slave trade, having been once involved himself, uh, he was writing once to somebody who was in effect saying this to him. And to paraphrase Newton's response, uh, it went something like this, okay, you're, you tell me you're not getting anything out of these devotions. Well, if you're not getting anything by going to church and reading your Bible, I can tell you for true that you're certainly not going to get anything out of not going to church and not reading your Bible and not praying. Just keep at it. Keep obeying. Keep praying. Keep worshipping. Until you do feel that you're getting something out of it. Keep obedient. Keep doing the things you should do. The righteous shall live by their faith. In confusing times, the righteous will keep on living the life of faith. They are obedient. We keep doing the things that we should do, but of course, on the other side of it, is that we don't do the things that we shouldn't do. We don't do the things we shouldn't do. Again, you see, the temptation when there's so much going on, there's so much that's confusing that we don't understand, is to go and do things out of self-pity, which we know are wrong. We know we shouldn't do them, but we want to gratify our self-pity, really. And when life's confusing, the one thing that we must keep on doing is keep on doing the right thing. Put one foot in front of the next. Trust God that right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. And no matter how loudly our flesh cries out against it. I want to, uh, <laughs> I want to illustrate by uh, an episode in, in Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is actually... Uh, a great favourite of mine, which is a bit hard to acknowledge because it sounds such a girly book, but it's actually a great book. It's got great strong themes in it. And if you know the story, you know that Jane Eyre is a very plain-looking girl. Uh, she's uh, brought up an orphan. Uh, she really has no one in the world, uh, no one who expresses any affection for her. And then she meets this guy, Mr. Rochester, and he falls in love with her. And he proposes marriage. And the great uh, tension in the book is that just at the last moment, 
when they're about to be married, she discovers that Rochester is actually still married. And he's married to uh, a woman who has been mentally ill. She's been locked up in his house. And he wants her, nevertheless, to come and live with him. And she reacts that you know, marriage is for life, that she can't just go and live with him. And then there is this conflict which uh, is stirred up within her between what she knows to be right, the right path, and those feelings that are being roused within her to do exactly the opposite. And this is how it's described. Jane says, not a human being that ever lived could wish to be loved better than I was loved. And him who thus loved me, I absolutely worship. Yet I had to renounce. Her love became an idol. Submit I did. And Mr. Rochester said, with a wild look crossing his features, what shall I do, Jane? Where shall I turn for a companion and for some hope? I said, do as I do. Trust in God. Believe in heaven and hope to meet there someday. Then you will not yield, he says to me. No, says Jane. Do you condemn me to live wretched and die accursed? No, says Jane. I advise you to live sinless and to die tranquil. Jane, who will be injured by doing what I ask you to do? You have neither relatives nor acquaintances that you may fear to offend. Come and live with me. And then she concludes. While he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned against me and charged me with crime in resisting him. <clears throat> they spoke almost as loud as feeling, and my feelings clamoured loudly. Oh, comply. Tell him you love him and will be his. Who in the world cares for you? Who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitable was my reply. I will keep the law given by God. I will hold to the principles beloved by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation, but for such moments as this when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. If at my individual convenience I might break laws, then what would there be worth? Forgone determinations are all I have at this hour to stand by. Thereupon I plant my foot. Righteous Jane Eyre, living by faith in confusing times. That's what we are called to do also. And what we need to ask ourselves is, where am I tempted to buckle where am I tempted to self-pity? Those are the places when we must not stop doing what is right, when we must not do what we know to be wrong, but where we live by faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. No matter how confusing or how troubled are the times that you find yourself in, Take courage. Live by faith. And God will carry you through. Amen. May God bless to us.
this holy word.